Thank you for downloading and listening to the Briam Bible Church Sunday Morning Podcast. Briam Bible Church is located in Shoreline, Washington, morning worship at 11, and many more events throughout the week. For more information, please visit our website at www.bereanshoreline.org. This morning we are going to share in communion together, and as we do so, I just want you to know that we get asked every so often about communion at our church. We do this about six times a year, and if you know Jesus Christ as your Savior, you are welcome to share in communion with us today. This is not about being a member of Berean or any denomination or anything else. This is if you know the Lord Jesus Christ as your Savior, you are part of the church the body of Christ. Amen? Amen. And because of that, we welcome you to share in communion. So later in the service, we're going to have a meditation from Scripture this morning. And then later in the service, we, our elders will uh, share the communion elements with you, and we will share them together. We began a short uh, a series that's going to be for a few months on encounters with God. And we're actually going to uh, continue that this morning and look at an encounter that Moses had with God, and then we are going to uh, lead this into our communion uh, thoughts as we share the cup and the bread together today. Also, when I sat down to Gary, I said, Gary, did you get that right about the cheesecake bake-off? You could just go buy a cheesecake and bring it and win? He said, no, I was a joke. So... <laughs> So in case you didn't get that joke, okay, because I didn't, <laughs> I thought, that's really odd. You'd have a bake-off and just bring whatever you, you know, could go buy. So if Rachel wins the bake-off, then we'll know something's fishy there. But anyway, we got to get that, get that. Oh, well, that wasn't that bad. What was that? <laughs> All right, I, I, never mind. Okay. <laughs> uh, we better pray together, huh? <laughs> Heavenly Father, we're open your word now, and uh, we pray that, as always, that uh, your words would be heard, and that our hearts would be tuned to your word. Lord, our children just left to go uh, continue in children's church, children's choir. At the same time, we know our early childhood uh, children are meeting as well. And Father, I, I just want to take a moment to thank you for those teachers and leaders who give this time and their love. And many here who are sitting here this morning also take their uh, turn in rotation. Uh, because this is a very important. Uh, Kevin mentioned our youth program this morning. Our children and youth are very, very important to what we are doing here. So we want to pray God's your blessing on them as well as they continue to uh, learn your word age appropriately with their leaders today. And as we do so as well, may we hear your words this morning. In Christ's name we pray. Amen. Exodus chapter 32. There is a, an account here that's uh, pretty well known that uh, when the Israelites are at Mount Sinai and it's the story of the golden calf. One of the more familiar stories from the Old Testament as they are at Mount Sinai, Moses goes up to receive the law and it's a very frightening situation as you read the context because God's, we talked last week about God's presence. As God's presence is on that mountaintop and it's obvious by what they are seeing going on there that it's a very, very serious and almost frightening situation for the children of Israel. And while they were up there, all of a sudden they come to the conclusion that something's happened to Moses. He hasn't come back. Uh, God has killed him and uh, something's happened and we need to do something. We need to make gods for ourselves. And you'll see in chapter 32 
where it says there in verse 1 in the middle of it, come, make us gods. So they go to Aaron, Moses' brother. And they say, Aaron, make us gods. Make us gods that we can worship and who will save us. And Aaron does it. Uh, this is this is really unforgivable in some, in, from a human standpoint in some ways that Aaron, Moses' brother, remember Aaron was his spokesman. When, when Moses said to God, I can't, I can't speak, I'm not going to do this. God said, yes, you are going to do this. But because you refuse to listen to me, Aaron is going to be your spokesperson. So in the whole first section there, anytime they speak to Pharaoh, it's Aaron speaking to Pharaoh. And Pharaoh speaking to Aaron, sort of like translating for Moses, if, if you will, uh, even though he didn't need translation, but he's he's speaking for him. And he's his brother. And he gives in to this. And, and Aaron says, all right, verse 2, take off the gold earrings that you, your wives, your sons, your daughters are wearing. Bring them to me. So all the people took off their earrings and brought them to Aaron. He took what they handed him, and I want you to notice specifically, and he made it into an idol cast in the shape of a calf. He fashioned it with a tool. So they created, it very clearly says, they brought the gold, they melted it, and Aaron helped them create this into a golden calf that they are now going to bow down and worship and ask for deliverance from this pagan god they have just created. And he builds an altar. You'll see in verse 5, Aaron builds an altar in front of the calf and announced, tomorrow there will be a festival to the Lord. What is Aaron up to here? Is he really that naive? Is he afraid? Is it possible that Aaron is stepping in in some kind of a coup to take over leadership? I mean, this is really odd, won't you think, for what he's been through. And he's seeing God at work in the plagues. He's seeing God use Moses. They've crossed the Red Sea. And what is he thinking? That now they can create this idol and worship it, and, and he helps fashion it. Well, I think you may know the rest of the story. What happens is the Lord comes to Moses, who is still up in the mountain, and and he tells him what's what's happening. And in verse 9, God says, I have seen these people, the Lord said to Moses. They are a stiff-necked people. Now, leave me alone, so my anger may burn against them, and I may destroy them, and I will make you into a great nation. God says, Moses, stand back. Stand back. I'm, going to, I'm about to destroy this entire people. And I'm going to start all over with you. It won't be the, it won't, it'll be now the children of Moses. It'll be a new nation. You know, we could do a whole meditation here on, on, the, on the humility of Moses. That Moses doesn't say, okay, sounds good to me. Right? No. Moses intercedes for his people and says, God, don't do this. Don't do this. Don't do this. Don't start over with me. Don't do this to your people. And he basically appeals to God's name and says, what will happen to your name among the Canaanites? will say, see, that, that God, Yahweh, he couldn't deliver them. He couldn't do anything. He's no different than any other God than a golden calf. Moses says, God, don't do this. And of course, we believe in the sovereignty and foreknowledge of God. But it does say in verse 14, the Lord relented and he did not bring on his people the disaster he had threatened. Now, there was discipline. You can read in the rest of the chapter. There was serious discipline for those who had sinned against God. And with one little incident in sidelight, verse 21, he says to Aaron, 
What did these people do to you that you led them into such great sin? Do not be angry, my Lord, Aaron answered. You know how prone these people are to evil. Verse 23, they said to me, Make us gods who will go before us. And for this fellow Moses who brought us up out of Egypt, we don't know what happened to him. So I told them, whoever has gold jewelry, take it off. Then they gave me the gold and I threw it into the fire. And what? (laughs) Out came this calf. Really, Aaron? (laughs) I mean, and there's no other comment on it. I just think, wow, Aaron, we just got done reading, you shaped it with a tool. And Aaron pleads ignorance and says, Moses, I don't know what happened. We threw this in and out came this calf. And it's even more amazing. There's nothing said about it. And Aaron isn't punished. You know, we'll leave it there. That's it. They they say that's that's what happened. Out came this calf. And Moses saw the people were running wild. And Aaron, they said, Aaron, this is a bad situation. They're out of control. And they, they took action and, and they punished those who had been part of this. But not Aaron. Well, we'll have to, I don't know. Someday maybe we can ask about that when we get to heaven. Um, out came this calf. Boy, that's a, that's a good excuse. I have, that's, that's a good one. So, chapter 33. Then the Lord said to Moses, Leave this place. It's time to go. You and the people you brought up out of Egypt, go up to the land I promised on oath to Abraham, to Isaac, to Jacob. Incidentally, we mentioned this last week. His name is changed to Israel, but it goes back and forth. And here it's Jacob, to Jacob, saying, I will give it to your descendants. I will send an angel, not the angel, I will say, I will send an angel. I will send an angel. I will send an angel before you to drive out and he lists the people in the, in the land. Verse three, go up to the land flowing with milk and honey, but I, Jehovah, Yahweh, I will not go with you. I'm not going, Moses, because you are stiff necked people and I might destroy you on the way. I will send an angel. So Moses, go. Moses, you take the people. You go to that land. I promise the land. I'm going to give it to you. I'll send an angel. But I'm not going with you. My presence is not going with you. My presence, my face, is not going with you. In verse 12, Moses says to the Lord, You have been telling me Lead these people. You'll take some time and read uh, what goes in between here. Well, what, what also goes in between here, you'll notice verse 11. The Lord would speak to Moses face to face as a man speaks with his friend. I mean, we just got to stop and think about this. God and Moses carried on conversation face to face. Now, at the end, and, and at the end it says, when Moses dies in Deuteronomy, it says, No prophet has arisen like him since who God knew face to face. But we're going to see in a moment what we know from Scripture. What? Nobody can see the face of God and what? Live. We talked about that last week with Jacob where he said, I've seen God's face and I've lived. 
this this colloquialism here, this idea that I've seen that that Moses and God knew each other face to face, and later on in Numbers it says mouth to mouth, in the sense that they they talk to each other like like a friend. Can you imagine that? Just audibly talking to God, discussing with God, telling God what don't kill these people. God telling Moses, they just, they just talked face to face, mouth to mouth. They were like friends. It doesn't have to do with seeing God's face, but they were in that close a connection. And then so Moses says to him, you've been telling me, take these people. But then notice he says in verse 12, you have not let me know who you will send with me. You said, I know you by name. You have found favor with me. If you are pleased with me, teach me your ways that I may know you and continue to find favor with you. Verse 14, the Lord relents again. The Lord changes what he said earlier. And he says, Moses, my presence, my face, my face will go with you and I will give you rest. Okay, Moses, I will go with you. And look what Moses says to God. Talk about a friend-to-friend talking. Moses says to him, God, if your presence does not go with us, do not send us. How will anyone know that we are your people? If you're not going, he just said, Moses, I'm going with you. Moses says, God, if you're not going, then don't send us. We're not going to go. But God says to him in verse 17, Moses, I will do the very thing you've asked because I am pleased with you and I know you by name. And Moses says, Now, Lord, show me your chavad. Show me your glory. This is a daring request. God, I want to see you. I, this, is, this, is, this is a crisis point. This is important. And Moses is going to, is going to take on this journey. He's going to take on this role of leading them now to the promised land. He won't be able to go there, but he's, he doesn't know. It. He's going to lead them there. And he says, but God, show me your glory. Let me ask you something, friends. If God, for a, just a moment, if God, for just a moment, could give us physically, I mean physically, a real glimpse into heaven, how might that impact our lives? Huh? If, you know, if we really just for a moment, God's okay, I'm going to let you, I'm going to give you a little glimpse of what heaven is really like. I'm not talking about a near-death experience and so on, but just give us a glimpse of what it's like to be in God's presence physically and actually see His glory. Wouldn't that take you a long way? Wouldn't that, wouldn't that be great? Moses says, God, show me your glory. This is a bold request to encounter God. I mean, this is the same God who's, who said, Moses, stand back. These people are, this is too much. I can't take these people. Moses dares to ask God, show me your glory. And verse 19, the Lord said, I will cause all my goodness to pass in front of you. I will proclaim my name, the Lord, Yahweh, in your presence. I will have mercy. This is my choice, Moses. I will have mercy on whom I will have mercy. I will have compassion on whom I will compassion. But you cannot see my face. Moses, don't ask to see my face. 
because you will not live if you do so. And then the Lord, just as we sang, just as we sang together, there is a place near me where you may stand on a rock. When my glory passes by, I will put you, notice that, I will put you in the cleft of the rock and I will cover you with my hand until I have passed by. I will remove my hand and you will see my back, but my face must not be seen. God says, Moses, there's a place right there. You go stand there. Right there, that rock. You go stand there on that rock. You've asked to see my glory. You cannot see my face, but I am going to give you a glimpse of my glory. And I am going to take you and I am going to place you in a crevice in this rock. And I am going to go by you. And as I go by you, I'm going to, this is, he, he puts it in a human form. I'm going to put my hand across your face. And I'm going to hold my hand over your face. And I am going to go by you. And after I go by you, Moses, I'm going to take my hand away. And you're going to see me leaving. You're not going to see my face, but you are going to see my presence. You are going to see God. You're going to see God, but you can't see my face. What an amazing encounter. And he does it. He does it. And we see this in the next chapter as Moses makes the two tablets of stone all over again. And the Lord came down, verse 5. The Lord comes down in a cloud in this Shekinah glory of God. And this has got to be, this has got to be so overpowering. The presence of God, this blinding presence of God. And he stood there with Moses. So this is when he's covering his face. And it says he stops, he stands there with Moses and he proclaims as he's covering Moses' face. And, And I want you to notice Moses asked, who are you? I want to know your name. I want to know, but but God says, I'm going to show you what, what I am. You don't need to see my face, Moses, but I want you to know what I am. I am a God. And And this is amazing. He goes by and he proclaims audibly to Moses with his hand over his face somehow. Yahweh, Yahweh. The Lord, the Lord. And I want you to notice how he proclaims his name. Of all the things he could say, the compassionate and gracious God, slow to anger, abounding in love and faithfulness, maintaining love to thousands and forgiving wickedness, rebellion, and sin. This holy, pure presence of God going by claiming, I forgive wickedness and rebellion and sin. How can he do this? But, notice what he says. Yet, he, that is me, God, does not leave the guilty unpunished. Wait a minute. He forgives wickedness, rebellion, and sin. But, He does not leave the guilty unpunished. He punishes the children and their children for the sin of the fathers to the third and the fourth generation. Wait a minute. What? Are you a God that forgives 
rebellion and sin or not? Or are you a God that punishes sin and rebellion? He proclaims his name with his hand over Moses' face. And he leaves and Moses looks and sees the backside kavod of God, the glory of God departing from him with these words ringing in his ears. I am compassionate and gracious, loving, faithful to thousands of generations. I forgive wickedness, rebellion, and sin. Yet I do not leave the guilty unpunished, and he punishes the children to the third, fourth generation. What is it? What is it? We're going to celebrate communion this morning. As Kevin mentioned, it's historically called, and it's been historically called the Eucharist, coming from when the Lord took the bread and the cup, he blessed it, and he gave what? Thanks. Eucharist. He gave thanks. Charis, charis, the word for joy, the word for grace, the word for thanks. He took it and he gave thanks. And hence it's called the Eucharist. But I want us to, as we come to communion this morning, I want us to take this thought of a God who loves, loves you and loves me and compassionate and forgives the sin and yet He punishes the sin and the sinner. How do we resolve that? How do you resolve that? Friends, it's resolved in what we are remembering today. They continued to offer sacrifice every year. Every year, they would go into the tabernacle and then the temple and they would bring the atonement for sin on the day of atonement, Yom Kippur. And they would pronounce the sins of the people on that goat that was what is the scapegoat. And they would drive that goat out into the wilderness as a visual sign of their sins being taken out into the wilderness and disappearing, being forgiven. But then they had to do it again next year. And the next year. And the next year. And the next year. And then the temple was gone. And there was no way to do this. And they had to substitute something else for taking away their sins while they were in Babylon. And they came back and they rebuilt the temple. And, 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 they, and Jesus comes to earth and there is the temple but he says, up from the Mount of Olives, he looks at it and says, God isn't there anymore. He left. He left. Your house is left empty. How is it resolved? As we come to communion today, I want to remind you that this is specifically, according to 1 Corinthians 11, specifically a remembrance of Christ's death. We meet the first Sunday of the week as we always do to remember His resurrection. But this is to remind us of His death and what happened on that cross at Calvary. And before we receive it together, could you just look at Matthew chapter 27? You could look at any of the Gospels. I'll just take Matthew chapter 27. And in Matthew chapter 27, it's a long chapter, and in verse 45, as Jesus is, we have the cross of Calvary as a reminder behind me here. As Jesus is hanging on that cross at Golgotha, nailed to the cross, beaten 
and bloodied. Suffering, physical pain, we could never begin to imagine. And verse 45, from the sixth hour, which was about noon in the Roman, Roman day, so we could say from 12 o'clock until the ninth hour, 3 o'clock, darkness came over all the land. And about the ninth hour, Jesus cried out in a loud voice, Eloi, Eloi, lama sabachthani, which means, my God, my God, why have you forsaken me? And then shortly after this, his last words from the cross, it is finished, and he dies. From 12 o'clock to 3 o'clock, blackness comes over the land. Why? Why blackness? We read in Isaiah 53 several times, he was punished. He was struck. He was pierced. He was punished for our sin. And the wrath of God was poured out upon him. And friends, Moses, God covered his face. He could not see the glory of God. And God covered everybody's face for three hours. Well, I believe God poured out His anger and wrath against sin. But nobody could watch this. Nobody could see this presence of God as His anger and wrath against my sin and your sin and the hideous acts we read about and the, and, and the things that go on in our world. And, and you have a sense of justice and you say someone, something has, someone should pay for this. It's not okay to just say you can do this to people. Oh, let's just forget about it. I'm sorry you did that. This, it's okay. Go on. No, you know better than that. You have a sense of justice, right? We can forgive, but we still have a sense of justice. It's a moral conscience. And friends, God would not be holy if He did not have justice. What, what if He was an unjust God? But He poured out His wrath upon the sin of the world, which includes you and me. And in that darkness, that presence of God, God put His hand over everybody. Nobody could see it. While He, he put His hand and He somehow punished the Lord Jesus Christ and in that punishment, for the first time in eternity, His hand is over Christ too, because Christ says, why have you forsaken me? Why? Why? He suffered it all alone. It's as if God had put Him in that cleft of the rock and put His hand across His face while He's punishing Him. And Christ says, why have you forsaken me? Friends, that name of God, I will extend justice and forgiveness and mercy to thousands, yet I will punish the sinner. Where is it resolved? It's resolved at the cross of Calvary. And it's offered to you and me as a gift because you couldn't have done it if you wanted to. But it's a gift. It's a gift of God. 
for God so loved the world. You learn in the King James, say it with me. Sorry. For God so loved the world that He gave His only begotten Son that whosoever believeth in Him should not perish but should have everlasting life. We're going to share communion together today. And we are going to share in the sorrow and the rejoicing of salvation. I'm going to ask our elders to come forward. And the elders are going to come and we're going to pass the bread to you first. And what we'd like you to do is just to take a moment and just to hold the bread and to just meditate and give thanks to God that that dilemma was resolved at the cross of Calvary and has been offered to us as a free gift to partake of today. The Lord Jesus Christ at that last Passover told His disciples, I have greatly desired, I have longed to eat this meal with you. And then He took the bread. And the Apostle Paul reminds us in 1 Corinthians 11, that after the meal, He took the bread. He broke it and He gave thanks. While they were eating, Jesus took bread, gave thanks, and broke it. And He gave it to His disciples and He said, Take and eat. This is my body. The Apostle Paul tells us, as often as we eat this bread and drink this cup, we do show forth the Lord's death until he returns. The bread represents that beaten and battered and bloodied body of Jesus Christ. Sinless, but a sacrifice for my sin and for your sin. Let's eat the bread in remembrance today of that sacrifice paid for our sin. Father, we thank you for your love for us. We thank you for the love of our Lord Jesus Christ, who willingly came to earth, lived amongst us, shared in our humanity fully, without sin, and died on the cross to pay the sacrifice for sin for all time. And through grace, we have been saved today. Through the blood and body of our Lord. In His name we have gathered today as your people. Amen. We don't have a lot of ritual at our church. Uh, one of the things we do consistently the same way is we serve communion this way. We've been doing this since I was a kid. And uh, I like it. These are the shepherds of our flock, the elders, pastors that uh, shepherd this flock. And, and we do this so they, they serve you because they love you and they want you to know that. And you know who they are. So you can go to them in your time of need as well. There was a certain ritual having to do with Passover. A lot of ritual. Passover is a somber time, but a joyous time. It is not Yom Kippur. It's a rejoicing in God's deliverance, in God's salvation. 
And there's a ritual at the end of the service, when the meal is over, they did what they always do. When they had sung a hymn, they went out to the Mount of Olives. The last thing Jesus did with his disciples was to sing a hymn. I asked you earlier, wouldn't it be great to get a glimpse of God's glory? Wouldn't it have been great to have been in that room and to hear the voice of Jesus Christ in that beautiful Aramaic tongue sing a song to God? Boy, wouldn't that take you a long way? Huh? Hear his voice face to face. That's why we gather. We gather as a people of God to remind each other we can hear his voice. We have the word. We have our worship. We can hear his voice. I don't know what hallelujah song they sang, hallel song, but they sang one of the psalms. And it was a psalm of hallelujah. And for as often as you eat this bread and drink this cup, you proclaim the Lord's death until he comes. Hallelujah. Let's drink it together. Heavenly Father, once again, the empty cup reminds us that the story does not end on the cross, but it's the empty tomb, which is the end and the beginning. And we stand afresh once again on the first day of the week, Resurrection Sunday, a new beginning. We worship a God of new beginnings. And Lord, we look forward, wherever we have been this past week, in our humanity, in our sinfulness, sometimes in our arrogance, in our pride, we start a new week, a new day, the first day of the week. And we celebrate once again the death and the burial and the resurrection and a new hope in Jesus Christ. In his name we've gathered and we ask these things and all of God's people can say together, Amen. Would you please stand with us? We'll sing together, There is a Redeemer. Thank you for joining with us today. We have joined together once, today, once again today, Resurrection Sunday, to celebrate the great exchange. For God made him who knew no sin to become sin for us that we might become the righteousness of God in him. The great exchange. Hallelujah is right. Before we leave today, why don't you just take a moment and greet someone next to you. Wish them a blessed resurrection day. And then as you leave, if you would like to make a gift to our Benevolent Helping Fund, we have offering plates in the back. It's our custom on Communion Sunday when the pastor remembers to say it. <laughs> that we receive an offering for our Helping Fund. Any money goes in there, it goes just to that. If you'd like to make an offering, there are plates in there. God bless you. Hallelujah. Amen. Amen.